This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, Canadian country music singer-songwriter Tim Hicks joins the Shift to talk about his hometown of St. Catharines, Ontario, plus his hit song, Stronger Beer, and his new album, Talk to Time. It's very good. He also shares some stories about tour life and how he copes with being a dad and more as a musician. Layla Woodbury, Regional Coordinator of Surfrider Foundation Canada, tells us about polystyrene foam in the ocean and in lakes used as flotation devices for docks and more. Alternatives are available. What are they? Handy Addy Barrage talks about Canada's first Class 3 electric truck and TikTokers going live during hurricanes is a thing. All of this and more. This is the Shift Podcast. AndyAndyMedia.com Uncle Andy's here. I am. Oh boy, you didn't mute yourself, Andy. Jeez. Come on. Ryan takes oh, one night oh. off. You can't mute yourself? Well, you, Ryan usually does the muting, so I, I forget that, you know, I have, a, I have a muting option as well when he's not here. Uh, he'll My be bad. back tomorrow. My bad. Everybody. That's all right. I'm just teasing. Uh, how you been? Happy Thanksgiving. I hope your weekend was great. Weekend was great. I got, you know, on the West Coast, we've had this really unusual weather. And Shane, you know, I decided this year I was going to start a fall garden. And boy, did I pick a good year because not only that, I have my automated watering system. That thing is still on right now because we haven't had any rain. But if you look at my vegetable garden right now, it looks what it normally looks like in mid-May. I am just – I have so much kale. I'm going to end up freezing it. And then um, using it all through the winter time. So uh, I've been busy. I've been busy doing stuff that I normally don't do in mid-October. Mm-hmm. Good. So what do you got? What's most successful? What's the answer? What's the answer for? Yeah. For- what's the secret? What's you got all the food? Like, what are you selling? What are you hawking in the alley? Is it the? Is it the lettuce? Is it the? I don't know. What do you? What do you got going on? Like, give us the what, details. What? What's the secret? One thing that was been harvesting a lot were tomatoes. So I have three different types of tomatoes, Roma tomatoes, beefsteak, and another one called black crim. And so mm-hmm. I, 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 on the weekend, I was harvesting all these tomatoes. I'm like, I, I'm trying to give them away to people. I didn't, I have so many. So then I went on Google and I was like, can you freeze tomatoes? I wonder. And sure enough, you can. And so there's different strategies on how you can do it. But what I did is I kind of chopped them up. And then I just put them into a, a freezer bag and they do get hard and they kind of get stuck together, but then you kind of break it like you do with ice in a bag mm-hmm. and then you can use them, um, you know, all year round. So I'm going to use that during the winter time. And, uh, I didn't know you could do that. So I gotta, huh. you gotta love the internet. What a, what an amazing time that we live in right now that you have mm-hmm. a question. You can pull out this computer in your pocket. You don't even have to type anymore. You can just talk to it and it will give you the answer or you watch a video. So that's exactly what I did on the weekend. And now I got a freezer full of tomatoes. Well, if you want to uh, uh, follow uh, Andy's videos, you can on his YouTube page, handyandymedia.com. So I'm assuming when you freeze tomatoes, though, it's not like you're putting them in a salad when they come out. You're cooking with them or salsa or sauces. 
Like, I'm assuming you're not just like, hey, here's a fresh bacon lettuce tomato sandwich, because that'd be pretty smooshy, I'd imagine. You know, you know what I was going to try it with is I was using tomatoes in omelets because I was having so many tomatoes, and so I would grab one and cut it up and throw it in an omelet. So now I'm like, I wonder if I and I'm going to do this tomorrow morning, is I'm going to take one of these frozen tomatoes and try to throw it in the pan and see if I can make an omelet. Oh, yeah. If that works, oh boy, I'm, I'm going to be good all winter long. Nice. Okay, it's uh, handyandymedia.com if you want to check it out. You have spent some time around the electric truck plant if you've been following Andy's Twitter and all those things. Uh, nerd out a little bit. Pretty cool, I imagine, to see. Oh, like, you know, growing up as a little boy, I used to love trucks. And as an adult, I still love trucks. I had no idea. But there's a company in Canada. They're based out on Aldergrove, BC, and they're called Vicinity Motor corporation vmc for short shane i have never even heard of this company but they just released the first class three electric truck to come out to be designed and built in canada so these class three electric trucks they could be used for um you know as a dump truck as a delivery truck or as a work truck so it's a modular style of a truck you can use it for whatever application you want but this is a hundred percent electric and it can go about 241 kilometers on a single charge. It, at 440 volts, you can charge this up in two and a half hours. If you use 240, which is what our dryers and our stoves run in a typical household, that'll take five to seven hours. And believe it or not, Shane, you can charge this in your electrical outlet. Just like you charge your smartphone, you can charge this class three electric truck However, it'll take you about 20 hours. But the fact that they have that option and the fact that this is built and designed in Canada is great because we know this is where the industry is heading. And these class three electric trucks, they estimate about 400,000 of them are sold annually because a lot of commercial, even private businesses require on these types of vehicles to deliver goods and for you know all other different types of applications. Very cool. And, uh, and yeah, like, you know, it's that whole 20 hour thing's obviously not going to work, but as an example in a bind that just goes to show that you can still get it done. Um, baby steps, right? Like baby steps to get there and how heavy of a load all the truckers I can hear right now, heavy, how heavy of a load can it pull if it's going to get that much time and so on and so forth. But the cool thing is, is it's, you know, it's, it's happening and it's happening in Canada. And I'm not even a big fan of, um, rushing to electric because of all the other things that go on with it. But yes. boy, oh boy, if we, you know, if companies are willing to take it on and try and they're getting closer and closer, like that is so cool, um, you know, that they're, they're working so hard to get there. Well, what was interesting about this company and this truck, the VMC 1200, is they developed it in the last two years during the pandemic. And so I was talking to them. I'm like, where do you get your, your supplies, like your parts from? And he goes, well, we get them around the world globally. And I'm like, that must have been very, very hard during the pandemic when it was so hard mm -hmm. for shipping and getting supplies. And as soon as I said that, I could just see the, the, you know, the look on their faces and they're like, you have no idea. He's like, mm -hmm. at one point we could see, we, we knew that the supplies were in a container in Vancouver and we could still not access it because of COVID and all the other restrictions. So I, it was just a great story to see coming out of Canada because we know everything is going electric. And it's like, where does Canada fit in that? Because we do have a rich history in the automotive industry, 
But where are we going to fit when it comes to electric? Because, you know, you got the Teslas of the world. They just announced that they're going to have a semi-truck. They they first announced it in 2017, but it's going to be in production in December 1st for the first big style semis. And Pepsi is one of their customers. But the question is, how does Canada compete? And, you know, we don't really make the batteries, but we have, you know, a lot of different types of subsidies for for you know, companies that are trying to make this and, and to deliver electric vehicles, but we do mm-hmm. need the infrastructure. And that's where you're right about that. It's baby steps, but we got to build that. And I hope Canada and the federal government takes that into consideration because we're such a large country. We need to have that infrastructure before we could see commercial uh, electric trucks on the roads uh, in the future. I love it. I love the attitude because it's um, it boils down to why would we give it away? Right. Why give it away? So let's, uh, let's shift gears. So that, by the way, is vicinity motor court. And we'll put that link up actually, uh, to vicinity on, on, uh, get you to toss that up there, Andy, on the shift, on the shift page. So on the shift. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I, sh- I, I shared the video oh, on video? the. Yep, the video's up there. So if you want to see it, you could actually, it's funny because typically in, in, when we talk about electronics, we're like, what's under the hood? And this is the first time I could actually say this and it meant sense because I really wanted to see how an electric truck operated. So one of the uh, project managers gave me a tour and explained how it works because it's more like a computer now than it is an old fashioned vehicle. But uh, amazing technology. Like I said, it made me feel like a kid just looking at these high tech trucks that are going to be on the road and it's for sale right now. So uh, props to vicinity motor group uh, for putting out this electric truck. Very cool. All right. So um, the production of the Tesla truck, which is more uh, common, let's touch on that quickly. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the vicinity thing because that's the most important story here, but Tesla has said they're going to make a big, big truck and they're starting to get in that. Yeah, and so Vicinity was smart by going for these kind of mid-sized commercial trucks, whereas Tesla is doing, you know, the big kahuna, the I, I would call it the Optimus Prime of semi-trucks because it kind of reminds me of that. But uh, they had unveiled this back in 2017, and they said they were going to have these big rigs done by 2019. However, delays happen all the time. Of course, we also had the pandemic. So it looks like in December 1st, they're going to be rolling this out Pepsi was the first to announce that they were going to get, a, I think, it was about 100 of these trucks. But they also got other big companies such as Walmart and UPS. So Tesla is once again is really disrupting the automotive industry by going after big rigs, whereas you had other companies like VMC, Vicinity Motor Corporation, how they're going for that, the, the smaller trucks that are used by my industry. But it just shows that that whole entire industry is going electric and the fact that you're going to see these kind of commercial vehicles go to electric i think is going to boost that infrastructure that we so desperately need before we finally make that transition to a you know electric fleets uh, across north america thank you very much for listening to the shift handy andy barrar is here and it's handyandymedia.com also shiftheads.ca if you want to see his video that he posted touring around uh, the vicinity electric truck plant. Really cool stuff. Andy, you have some more stories for us. We were just talking about how we had Teslas exploding after Hurricane Ian. And you're also, some TikTok users have made some good out of it. Yeah, so while everyone is fleeing a hurricane, what you're noticing is TikTokers 
are actually going there to do live reporting to, to basically try to get lots of views on their videos. But it's not just the videos that like pre-recorded videos. What TikTokers are now doing is live streaming. So they're being just like how you would have a meteorologist, Shane, who would try to go into the like eye Anderson of a Cooper. Yeah. yeah, they would. They try to get that really good hit, you know, like, and they're just holding on to a pole. And right. now you're seeing TikTokers do this. And the question is why? Well, if you look at young people, they're getting more and more of their news on TikTok. So this is really where they get updated on what's going on in Ukraine. You know, if it's a Road versus Wade uh, Supreme Court uh, overturning, stuff like that. They're not going on traditional media like older people do. They're actually getting it from TikTok. And they're not getting it from, you know, um, broadcasters or journalists. They're getting it from TikTokers who are just happen to be there. And I find this fascinating because you got if you're if you're a traditional media, if you're Google and, and you know, the, the type of, of industries that deliver the news, you got to be looking at this stat and wondering, you know, are, do we need to get on TikTok, put our journalists on TikTok to try to get the younger viewers? Because if that's where they're getting their news from, if that's where they're getting live news from, you know, something's got to give. And, and I, I think that TikTok might be the future now. Unfortunately, like, you know me, Shame. I, I think that algorithm is probably the most powerful algorithm on earth. Mm-hmm. And it's no wonder that it's now working in, in news. Because when it first started TikTok, it was making like dance videos. But now this live streaming, what they found, this is an amazing fact. One in five users have watched a live stream on the app. And 62% of that group watch a live stream every day. TikTok has over 1 billion monthly users and there's what seven billion people on earth so yeah. one in seven is on tiktok yeah but there's the thing that drives me crazy with it like we've become voyeurs we're not living our own lives we're voy- it's voyeur very voyeuristic to watch other people's lives and then there's no um standards about what is legitimate it's like we talked about the youtube videos right when these in order to get clicks, these guys and girls were making these videos that were fake, but people thought they were like Tide Pod, all those things yeah. um, were happening. Now, I don't know if you know this. Um, we're going to save your um, your tape thing probably here, just so you know. Um, the the On TikTok, so Ryan challenged me to try Be Real, okay. which, yeah. which tells you everybody at one time a day, it tells you what time a day everybody posts a video, but it posts a video of your face and what you're looking at at the same time. TikTok has launched this feature. So much like Instagram was trying to steal TikTok stuff, TikTok is now having to steal other apps ideas to keep up. So they're obviously at a bit of a defensive posture too. So I'm curious your thoughts on that, because if they're stealing be real already, that goes to show that they're either going for the death punch or they're starting to see that, that there's more to be had there. Well, what you see in on, on with tech companies is you're either innovator or you're an imitator and you start as an innovator like Instagram did and then something else will come around like, you know, it was uh, Snapchat and then they would take features off that. And now yeah. TikTok, now that they're the big dog around, there's going to be be real. They're going to try to do something anti TikTok and TikTok's going to be like, cool, let's do that as well. So this is just something you see time and time again. But you know, it's just how like TikTok isn't that old, how fast people have adopted it it's it's mind-boggling shane 
and how fast it changes too. So Ryan challenged me to do that. We'll check in with Ryan again tomorrow. I, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to embrace it. I'm having a hard time. I'm really be having real, a hard Shane. time. You got to yeah. be real. <laughs> I got to be real. I, I've got to live my real life and put my phone down. This is the way I look at it. Andy, thank you for being here, brother, as always. Uh, thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. It's New Music Monday, early on a Tuesday morning. I'm Shane Hewitt. It's The Shift. And there is a guy who is one of my favorite of all the guys that I've ever met in music and country music in Canada. And that's not, I'm not just saying that because he's staring at me on a Zoom call. I'm saying it because I mean it. (laughs) And I will tell you that again and again. In fact, I believe I've said that here on The Shift. He lived just down the road from where I lived. He lived just down the road for uh, technical producer, Brennan Kelly, where he worked as well. And, um... And his name is Tim Hicks, and he's a country star, and he's here on the shift. Hey, Tim. <laughs> hey, thanks um, for having me. We uh, have a lot in common with St. Catharines. We've done uh, many conversations yeah. before. It's really nice to see you, yeah. and yeah, I wish that you. you could hear the things that I say about you quite often, because as you keep releasing more music, <laughs> I've always been a believer in what you do and the spirit you bring to it. That's Thank the you. real magic. I mean, you're a good yeah. musician and all that, but it's the spirit that you bring that's the magic. I try. Yeah, yeah. I try, just try to keep it fun and light and, you know, try to put as many smiles on people's faces as we can and, and try and not get too uh, too bogged down in, in, in the world and the business and all the, you know, all the stuff that we can get wrapped up in, you know? Absolutely. I know. And the busy. I mean, you are a husband. You are a dad. You are a musician. You do travel. Yeah. You have to all write songs. Things. You have to go places and you have to do all of that. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty full bat. And not only that, you're a regular uh, DIY do it yourself or uh home rental guy. <laughs> yeah, barely. Yeah, I'm a good I'm a good laborer. So, you know, what Shane's talking about, folks, uh, is that uh we're doing a, a major reno at my house that's been happening over over the past year. We're we're coming to an end. Um and you know, the hard the heavy lifting, we we got a contractor and a team and and they've been doing that. But uh, my father in law, uh who is very handy. Him and I, at the height of the lockdown in 2020, decided we would uh, would take the kitchen out of the quote and do it ourselves. So I learned a ton, man. And, and I will t- I will say this, completely unrelated to music. Um, I'm way more yeah. confident now. You know, with an electric screw- a screwdriver and a level and a pencil, I'm fe- I feel a lot better than that's I once amazing. did. <laughs> but it's good, though, isn't it? It like taps good. into this DNA yeah. that's woven inside of you, and it just feels right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't mind like, he, you know, he's the man uh, with the vision uh, and he knows how to do it, but he will say, okay, and here's what we're going to do. And here's what you're going to do. And he'll like, you know, for, we did, it took us about three months, three, four months to do the kitchen from top to bottom. We completely gutted it. We never went without uh, service though. Like we could always cook a meal and do dishes, although it was challenging from time to time, but um, you know, over the course of three months, every night, about nine o'clock, my email would go off and he would send the shopping list mm-hmm. for the next day. And I would either order it online um, and then for curbside pickup the next day or go down and pick it up in the morning. And by the time I was rolling into the driveway, he was waiting for me and and we uh, just uh, went at it. And I learned everything from, you know, how to install counters to, uh, you know, flooring, um, backsplash, uh like all kinds of stuff like in and, and kitchens a bit of everything plumbing electrical there's a lot of stuff we put a window wow. in a window a cutting of, holes in walls yeah. that's next level tim yeah yeah it was that's pretty fun. cool was i pretty uh cool. and uh, for those who don't know you have to understand um tiv's uh, tim's loving bride um 
her cuisine is incredibly <laughs> important in this family. Like it's the glue that keeps the family together. It really is. So, yeah. so you got to take care of that kitchen. Okay. So Brendan Kelly, um, he used to work at the shell station when I was there doing radio in St. Catharines, he used to work at that shell uh-huh. station, which is on the corner of, um, Carl Bunting, Bunting and Carlton. I was just get there. out of here. Really? <laughs> I, re- I really was. I, that's yeah. just down the road from your yeah, place. I, and I was behind that mall on Jennifer Crescent when I was there. And so, yeah, I apparently okay. had been there. And then I was back at the cottage when I was DJing at the cottage in Port Luzi. Uh, he used to attend often uh-huh. on the big patio back there. So those, there, there's your paths uh-huh. crossing. I love it. Yeah. In fact, uh, we were just down in Port um, the other day for a beer. And for our anniversary, it was Monday. So we went down to to, uh, to have a drink. And you could still see we were sitting at a place across from where where my cottage used to be, and there's still a my cottage sign underneath. That's cool. The uh, Ivac that they put up, you could see. Oh, it that's peeking fun. Out. <laughs> uh, how many years married now, by the way? Thirteen years. Thirteen years married and eighteen years Amazing. together. I love this. Tim Hicks is our guest here. It's New Music Monday early on a Tuesday morning. I'm driving with my daughter in the car and we're going fishing, which just seems stereotyped appropriate for what we were doing mm-hmm. and for the song that came on. And I heard it and I recognized it. But I, I did say, I was like, what song is this? This is so good. And it was Stronger yeah. Beer, Tim Hicks, which turns out to be your most streamed, yeah. I believe, of all the songs now on Spotify. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, that's the one that I'm I'm sort of known for at this point, which is, you know, for me, it's like, is that, in, 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 you know, I say this with my tongue in my cheek, but it's like, I wrote that in 2012. So did I peak back then? I don't know. That's, We're 10 that's years as good in. as it gets right <laughs> but, there. But, you know, it, yeah, it's one of those things that, like that, that song, I don't know. I can't remember if we talked about it or not, but that song was never supposed to be anything other than a joke for my day-to-day manager who was from uh, West Virginia. And uh, he uh, he's no longer my day to day manager, but we're still friends and uh, we're still in, in touch. And, uh, you know, he would ask questions about Canada. He hung lots with Canadians. And so he had lots of questions about Canada. And, you know, my my buddy Jeff Copeland and I and Jeff, you know, the weird thing about Jeff is he was born in Montreal. He lived in Montreal for, for 19 years and then he moved to America to make it in the music business and uh, apparently forgot all of all about Canada because <laughs> uh, when I was exp- you know, uh, that day he picked me up and we were kind of like, you know, just sort of joking around about our, you know, our mutual friend, Denny, my day-to-day manager and what he'd asked me that day. And then, you know, we started this conversation about the differences between Canada and America, which is pretty salient for a guy that grew up like on the border. You know, I grew up mm-hmm. in Niagara Falls. So there's lots of discussion about, you know, the differences between and, you know, when I when I reminded him that we have the CFL and they have a bigger ball and a longer field and I could just see this this gleam in his eyes like, oh, too easy. <laughs> we got to yeah. write a song. He said, let's get this idea. Let's write this silly song. Let's like write like two songs. We'll write a real song and we'll write a joke song. We'll send in the joke song and wait for them to kind of like go, ha ha, very funny boys. Time is money. Uh, where is the real song? And then send it in and be heroes. And we sent in this silly song, you know, and got this phone call. Like it was out of a movie, like, you know, we love it. It's so great. It's going on the record. And Did you like, tell them? Like, you're like, Hey, Oh, whoa, that was, that's not supposed to be anything like I, you know, bigger balls and longer field. Like I can't go out there. I can't go back. We were in Nashville. like I can't go back there singing that, you know? And I remember on the day we wrote it, uh, and this all happened. Uh, my buddies were visiting Nashville from St. Catharines. They were uh, down for uh, for a football game, 
And so I met them on Broadway and I was like, guys, and, and they're huge CFL fans. My buddy, Daryl, especially big Cats fan. And I was like, we, I, you know, we wrote this song today. It's hilarious. It'll probably never be anything, but uh anyway and i sang them a verse and a chorus like kind of like in the bar like just sort of you know standing in front of them and they were dying and he reminded me of that uh not too long ago because i played the labor day mm-hmm. classic um for the cfl as uh, uh, tie cats versus argos and he was there and he's like i remember that day remember that day we you know we were in nashville the day you wrote stronger beer and now it's double platinum and i was like i i know it's it's such a strange thing you know because we it, that song to me is proof that you just never know what's going to connect mm-hmm. with people and and where where a song is going to take you. And now it lives in the encore. You know, it doesn't live in the body of the set. We got we make everyone think, oh, he's oh, not going to play it. You know, I like that it. kind of you know, like I'm not going to play. Like I I tell fans all the time. I get messages at before every show. Tim Hicks, can you please play Stronger Beer tonight? As if I yeah, won't do that's it. That's right. You know oh, I, I love it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. I'm not. I'm not Van Morrison. I'm not. Not going to do Brown Eyed Girl. Like the, the, you're going to hear the yeah. ones you want to hear. You know. Oh, I love it. And uh, and so it's it's just a funny. Uh, it's a, it's a fun thing. And and what a what a blessing to have a song like that in well, our repertoire. And what a good reminder to just be yourself. I'd say, hey. Well, and and that, not only that, but it, it, a great testament to um, not trying too hard. You know, there. I've been in lots of rights in Nashville where it's like, well, what do you want to write? I want to write a hit song. Okay. Of course. That's why we're here, <laughs> okay. buddy. We're all employed. You know, everybody's <laughs> always trying to write a hit song, you know, and, and that's what we're all trying to do all the time. But, you know, in that instance, we were just kind of being creative for the sake of being creative and trying to be funny for the sake of being funny. And, and, uh, and look, look where, where it gets got you. Well, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you just got to express yourself and be yourself and trust the process, right? Like just yeah. trust the process and yeah. be there and be present to it. And, and it'll take you where it's going to take yep. you. It's already brought you here. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and what I'm most proud of, of that song is the fact that it was never released as a single. Oh really? You know, it was. It was just. It just did its own thing. It was never released to radio. It was like a a, a true, um, natural viral the, hit. You know, we the best ROI coming. ever. You're like yeah, Jack White exactly. and the White Stripes with his album, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, talk to me or talk to me. Talk to time is the um, is the new album. It yeah. was out in September officially. Yes. October's kind of quiet for yeah. you, but then it's time to get back to work in November, and then of course the Christmas shows kick in. So tell us about because yeah. there is a new Tim Hicks album, and um, and yeah. I, I like this. Every time someone you know sits and talks about time, I think it's an important part of our lives that we don't acknowledge. So my hippie side mm. is like this is this is all things good from Tim Hicks. Something there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this record was, you know, it was two and a half years in the making really Um, tons of writing and really like, I, you know, I've been saying this a lot in the, as I'm doing, you know, making my rounds in the, in the press and the, you know, album release kind of cycle that we do. I I really, I I truly believe this is one of my most well-rounded records. And the reason I think that is because we had time to do it. We, we, we had the, the, um, the luxury of being able to just take our time because the world wasn't doing anything, you know? And at, at the same time I was writing this, we were doing campfire Troubadour and, you know, I was a stay at home dad at that point. So there's lots going on, but always sort of working towards this record. And, and, you know, my team found a lot of songs. We listened to a lot of songs. I wrote a lot of songs. I think at last count, I had like 88 songs on a playlist or something. And we, we chose eight. Wow. <laughs> you know what that I mean? That must be so, tough. That's like choosing which kid is your favorite. 
Kind of a little bit. And, you know, there's ones, you know, we get pretty passionate about it. And, you know, in fact, the song Talk to Time is uh, unusual for me because it's an outside cut. And uh, what that means for those of you listening in, in especially in country music, um, that when we say the words outside cut, that means that it's a song that I sing that I recorded that I didn't write. So so Nashville songwriters wrote this song and it was pitched to me. It's like, hey, we think Tim Hicks would do a good job singing this song. And, you know, I was at a when they when the song got to me, I was at a real um, I was in a real creative peak happening. And I was really feeling like, you know, the guys that I look up to, like Tom Petty, you know, McCartney, uh, just, you know, blue, the Blue Rodeo guys. They're not cutting outside cuts. They're cut. They're cutting their own songs, and so I was in. A, I was in kind of that like, well, I will write my songs, you know. And and I heard the demo, and you, you have to understand, like when these when these songs get pitched to you, they are uh, presented in a way. It's not like a guy on a tape recorder singing their song with a guitar. It's like fully yeah. produced as if it could be on the radio. And the way that it, the demo was produced was pretty pop country, and that immediately got my yeah, back right. Out, I, you know, like. I'm a country singer. I don't need to do pop. Or, uh, you know, but but the rock thing for me is still important. Like, you know, that's because I still like lots of my influences are in the rock world. And, you know, I played in rock bands and and, you know, a lot of what I do rides Mm -hmm. that line. And I I like to keep that, you know, because there aren't a lot of guys. You use that to your advantage Um, as the entertainer, too, because you create a rockin show. Right. It's such Absolutely. a big part of the because the anthem style yes. is such a big thing that you do. I can see how that would really matter yeah. if it was someone else's song. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and so admittedly, I couldn't hear past the production of it. And I I passed. I said, no, thank you. And then everyone around me was like, dude, you need to hear this song again. You know, my team, my manager, my my record label, uh, Derek Rutan produced this. And he was calling me going, you got to cut this song He goes, if you don't cut this song. Six months from now, you're going to hear it on the radio with someone else singing. Do you want oh, that? Wow. <laughs> and I was like, well, all right, now you're talking. No, now you're I talking don't want directly. that. You know exactly what to say in order to get right. me motivated, right? So I said, okay. I'll de- my daughter was asking, play t- Daddy, play that Talk to Time song. Listen, if my kids are asking for something, I pay attention. Oh, that's fair. Because kids don't have an attention nope. span for, for, for stuff that doesn't BS, stick. They have no BS you know filter either. Absolutely. So that was like, okay, interesting. Um, so I demoed it. And as I when as I was demoing it, I fell in love with it. And and you know, I had lots of discussions with Derek about what we would do to put the song in more of like in my lane, you know, which was interesting because Derek's a different producer. And I, I've got a, two producers on this record, Jeff Copeland, who has produced most of the stuff I've done, um, and and Derek. And Jeff likes to to um cut drums and play bass with with a drummer because he plays every instrument jeff does so he cuts drums with a guy and plays bass and then he starts layering the tracks over top whereas derek likes to do the classic nashville go in with a band uh and play off the floor padded room Um, style everyone in a padded room yeah i kind of yeah and i kind of got i kind of got the best of both worlds on this record so you know when i when it came to talk to time you know he said here's what i'm going to do i'm not going to play them the demo i'm going to walk into the control room and i'm going to sing it with my guitar and because I couldn't go to Nashville, I was uh, the borders were still closed. So um, he said, I'm going to walk in there and play with my guitar. I'm going to say, you guys know, Tim, you know what he likes. Let's make this a Tim Hicks song and, and see what happens. And they nailed it. Like we we were able to connect our studios with this program called Audio Movers. So I was technically there, you know, just like as I'm sitting here talking to you, I was sitting here watching 
the session and listening in my headphones and I could talk to the players and they could talk to me and I could see Derek on FaceTime and he could see me and we could, you know, have a whole uh, like line of communication as the band was cutting. So I got to hear it, you know, from the first pass and yeah. And from the first pass, I was like, Oh, this is a hit song. Like this is, I love this song. This is so good. And uh, I loved it so much. I I made it the title track. Well, the one thing that keeps coming up here, Tim Hicks is that the, um, is this time thing. I mean, we talked about, you know, beer from 10 years ago and then, you know, you've got the pandemic and you can't go and then you've got time to write this album. Um, you know, you've got the history with campfire troubadour, which has kind of got this super relatable campfire with this fancy Mm. troubadour notion that, right. Like this, this, this contrast (laughs) and you've got all these things that are going on in the background, but yet time keeps coming up again. So after all of this has happened, how has time changed for you? Because as a dad and all that, it really starts to shift. Well, that's just it. Yeah, and that was the one thing about that song that initially grabbed me was that, and I remember saying this, like the lyrics really spoke to me, like as a father of two and watching my career now, like I'm 10 years at the national level, which is like, that's a lifetime in the entertainment business. Um, and and you start to question, like, you know, how do I slow this train down and, and, and really enjoy it? And one of the things that I remember from being a younger performer was, and this is still something I struggle with, is that whenever there's a big show, the next day I'm mm-hmm. bummed out. And the reason is, is it's just purely chemical because, you know, you, you there's so much anticipation and anxiety and excitement and, you know, all things really positive leading up to a big show. And then you go out and it's like ah! for 90 minutes and then people clap and then it's over and you have to somehow come to terms with that. And so, you know, I've really tried is, is as the time goes by, um, and, you know, I get more and more experience like on the big stage at the national level and, you know, and keep in mind, and I know we've talked about this, like 18 years as a working musician before I had a record deal. So I'm almost 30 wow. years in at yep. this point, 28 years playing music full time. And, uh, you know, I, I, so what I try and do is really savor that moment uh, of every big show and in every show period there's got to be at least one moment and i try to my best to do that in real life too you know as my kids get bigger and my 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 relationship with my wife you know evolves like i'm really trying to savor the time that we have because you just never know when you're not going to have it anymore so what does that moment look like can yeah. you give me an example like is it are you on stage and everyone's like you got your arms in the air like the classic Sometimes. photo or are you backstage with mm-hmm. the band and it's just ended and you're like we did it what does that moment look like yeah it's a little bit of of everything so definitely there's a moment on stage uh, every night that i just take in for myself and usually this on this tour it's been kind of like four or five songs in i can't just depending on the night but we've got this new section of this song. So we've got the mm-hmm. song Whiskey Does, which was like uh, uh, became yeah, a hit for done us. Done really well. And we do this. Thank you. And and we do, and we do this uh, like sort of extended live version of it where we do like guitar solos at the end. And it's the first point in the set that I can really relax because I'm like, you know, we come out, the focus is on me. We're doing like stomping ground, got a feeling. It's a very high energy crowd interaction. Um, you know, like really like establishing the tone of the show, you know, and, and, you know, it's like one song into the next, into the next. And like, as the intro is playing, I'm going, hello, London, how are you guys doing? Like that kind of thing. Like it's super, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts. And then when it, when it gets to that, to, to that song, 
and I have a moment to just let the other guys do their thing and I can stand there. And usually you'll like, I'll go up on Doug's riser on my bass player's riser, like to the, to the right of the drummer and just sort of stand there and take it all hmm. in, you know, but there, and that that's a standard moment this time around, but it does change from time to time. And, and it really does like it's before the show as we're getting ready. Those moments are always special. And then afterwards too. And, you know, I explain to people all the time it's, I can see how, especially like in the in the entertainment business or music in, in general how you it would be easy to fall into the dark side because every day is a celebration when you're out there doing it because all day long like on a show day especially there's just like all this anticipation of like the the gig is coming the gig is coming it's happening you know the doors are open now oh my god people are getting here and like or like even even earlier you start the day it's like the trucks are here okay the crew's loading in all right here comes the stage i gotta go do some media now i gotta go do the radio station it's like this impending thing it's like it's it's coming it's coming it's coming it's coming it's coming and all of a sudden it happens and in the blink of an eye it's over and if you don't hang on to it it will slip away and then you're immediately into a party because you're celebrating oh my god did you see what we just did yeah, we, we did. did that, you know, all day long, you know, and so it, it it doesn't matter if it's a Monday in Saskatoon, you know, your the, the glasses are in the yeah. air. <laughs> so it could I see how it would be easy to get sucked into the, the to the dark side of it if you didn't have that awareness and like really uh, hone well, in when you on come that, home to the know? hotel or the whatever it, it oh my. Uh, or, or home, home. <laughs> uh, but when you when you don't go home and you go to a place where it's just you i mean there's the wow that just happened moment and that yeah. would be filled with gratitude but you can see how it could very quickly tip over into really lonely really quick loneliness it, it's extremely so i'll tell you so on on this last run that we did it was pure insanity i we did um and i loved every second of it but we flew to vancouver um and then I did a press day in Vancouver and then the next day was the show. And then we had like a 3.30 a.m. lobby call. I flew to Calgary. The band flew to Edmonton. I went immediately off the plane into an SUV to the stage at the CCMA, did the CCMA rehearsal, got back in an SUV and some nice fella drove me from Calgary to Edmonton to meet the band. We played in Edmonton that night, 3.30 a.m. lobby call, flew to Ottawa. Played Ottawa, like arrived in Ottawa at 3.30, was on stage at 7.30, played uh, with T-Pain. Oh, wow. As a matter of fact, which is which is another story. <laughs> on, on itself. Uh, you, you know, played to 10,000 people in Ottawa, uh, immediately into a car, back to the hotel. And the whole time I was Elvising is what we call it. So what that means is like I walk off the stage after the encore. My tour manager tosses me my backpack from the dressing room and I get in a running vehicle and I'm down the road before the applause die. And the reason I did that was because you, as a singer, you need to sleep if you're going to execute. And the only way that I could do, handle that schedule was to immediately get out of there because <laughs> otherwise you get yeah. sucked into the hang afterwards. And then when you're talking and staying up late and drinking and carrying on, that's when you lose your voice. So, you know, and, and I did, by the time I got to Ottawa, I was feeling pretty good because we were, the shows were going really well and I was singing well. And, but when I got to my room in Ottawa after the show, it was like nine 30 and I'm like, looking in the mirror of the hotel bathroom going, what do I do yeah. now? <laughs> like, 
I was just on stage opening for T-Pain for 10,000 people. They were screaming my name and I was singing Stronger Beer. And now I'm standing yeah. in the, you know, my hotel room by myself. This is a How really no one's calling thing. my name in the bathroom? So, <laughs> well, and it's, it's just, it was like, oh, you know, and it was one of those super lonely, like, oh my God, I could see how this could turn dark yeah. fast, you know, but... But again, like I'm surrounded by great people and I've been doing it a long time and I really do love it. And I'm very aware of that and of myself. And you know, I have strategies to deal with all of that when I'm on the road and when I when I get home, especially because after a tour, it's the same thing. It's just like tenfold, you know, when a tour is over and not so much how we've been doing it, because we've been doing it sort of like this post covid you know, go out for a weekend play, you're home for the week, go out for a weekend play, or I might might be out. That was an exception. Like I was out for five days doing that. But pre, we would get on a bus for 30 days or for 40 days and we would do that. And when I would get home, it would be five days of laying on the couch. And I remember one time Amanda saying to me, like, are you going to get off the couch wow. today? Like, it's been, it's been five days. Like, do you think, are you ready to participate? How much Dr. Phil can you handle, man? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. For me, it was always court TV. Is that what it I was? I was curious. TV. That was my. I think you oh, answered God, my next question it. with, uh, oh. you know, you come home and and your wife is like, uh, "Here's the kids. Welcome home." She gets a yeah. day off now. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, and we try our best to to, to balance all that out. And my, I'm like, my kids are getting older now. They're ten and nine, so they're a little like they're less um, high maintenance than they than they once were. But it still is a big responsibility, you know, for her working full time mm-hmm. and handling meals and groceries. And I I've been doing my best to kind of like make sure that we're stocked up and that there's a plan in place and that, you know, if there's anything I can do from the road, like I haven't done it yet, but I've, I've been saying like, I could order you guys Uber eats, yeah. you know, like if yeah. you, if you're, if you have a terrible day and you don't want to cook and you don't have any groceries, like I can handle it. You like, stop just the bus at Costco on the way home just to get, you know, the groceries, you yeah. know, whatever helps. Oh, I used to do that all the time. I used to do my grocery shopping at like two o'clock in the morning That's- after my gigs. <laughs> I knew where all the 24-hour grocery stores See, were. See, there you go. The That's day. the secrets to being Tim Hicks, my friends. The secrets to being Tim Hicks. Well, Tim, you, yeah. the, the album's out. People can check it out. The streaming, of course, it's everywhere. Yeah. And, um, and so many great shows. My invitation is this, and I say this in front of you on purpose, is that if you are looking for just a good time, real life, real mm-hmm. people, good time, go to a Tim Love Hicks it. show. you know what that's that's pretty true you know like i just feel like you know i spent my fans are such cool people and they it runs the gamut like we we played in london ontario last weekend and in in the front row there was like some older ladies and some young people and you know guys girls uh all kinds of folks you know there was uh, a group of firefighters there there was uh some teachers there was it was it was a it was a good uh it was a good mix of, of people and it was a good vibe uh all around so i'm pretty pleased like i'm pretty lucky to have a, a group of people that follow me around that are as cool as yeah. they are wow i'm I think the rest of us are pretty lucky to have you tim i mean that appreciate oh, thanks, that. Uh, congratulations you. on the success as always. I do look forward to connecting. Uh, there was always a connection here um, and to share yeah. all the good word and, and everything else. And um, Tim Hicks, check out the music and be a part of it. Thanks for being here, brother. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Shane. Appreciate it, man. This is the Shift Podcast. Polystyrene. Exciting, right? 
It's Styrofoam. That's the brand name for polystyrene. I learned that from Lily. Lily Woodbury is with uh, Surfrider on the West Coast, the Pacific chapter. And one of the things that's been going on has been styrofoam in the oceans, plastics in the ocean. This particular conversation leads more towards the styrofoam part. And styrofoam, I'm saying that's a brand name. We're not attacking styrofoam as a brand, but polystyrene is the product. But sometimes it's easier to understand that way. That's how you know it. Kind of like Kleenex and tissue. But here's the thing that it's not good. It works really, really well in the short term to make stuff float. It does not work really, really well in the long term um, when it starts to fall apart because it doesn't break down. And this is where the conversation goes. This is a West Coast conversation. This is an ocean conversation. I recognize that very little of Canada is actually on the ocean. If you are anywhere near a lake or a river, this same product is used to float docks and float things in your neighborhood as well. And we're not talking about this today, but is also used as an insulator around houses where it's cold. So if you live in Manitoba or Alberta or Saskatchewan, it's probably wrapped around your foundation. And in Ontario, I have seen it be used actually to elevate, lift, elevate ground for overpasses. It gets used there. So then the ground doesn't freeze and heave and break the road. It's very, very useful stuff. There's no denying that. It's cheap, it's easy, and it's uh, it does a very, very good job. In the ocean... It doesn't break down. Hi, Lily. Hey, thanks for having me. So, yeah, you bet. I appreciate you being here. So you are, um, there's been some new news on this. Let's reset the conversation about what it is, why it matters in the oceans in particular. Yes. And then then we'll talk about the uh, the new news about the polystyrene and, and it, what's possibly coming down and could be great. That sounds great. So expanded polystyrene, which you gave a great introduction to, technically, It's a lightweight cellular plastic material consisting of these small spherical beads of polystyrene, polymerized from styrene. A lot of us aren't going to know what that means. So you can imagine a huge snow globe and all of those little white pieces of white beads. Imagine all of those packed together. And that's what you get is EPS. And essentially what our coast looks like in a lot of rivers and lakes around the country is an EPS snow globe gone wrong. So when people order things, maybe from Uline or Amazon or whatever, it might show up with popcorn chips in it. It can. And right. And when you, or when you buy a new TV, you pull the TV out, it's got, it's got the polystyrene wrapped around it. And then all of a sudden a little bit breaks off and it flies around and the static gets it and it's stuck to your stuff. And it's a pain in the butt to clean up. Well, imagine that on a much larger scale in the ocean. Yes, that's exactly it. So, With all of our cleanups with Surfrider Foundation Canada, we do cleanups on Vancouver Island, the Lower Mainland. The BC Marine Debris Working Group does cleanups across the whole coast, including Haida Gwaii. And a majority of what we collect, around 40 to 80% of the material, is expanded polystyrene. So considering the amount of cleanups and the amount of material, this is pretty shocking. And what we have found out from all the data that we've collected is that most of this polystyrene is coming from floating infrastructure like rafts and docks. And this isn't surprising because 80% of docks in BC are using expanded polystyrene. And it's not like it's encased in a hard plastic or anything else. Like it is just open. So you can imagine when you're getting that box of Amazon or Uline, whatever it may be, and that little piece chips off, that's what we're using to float infrastructure in the ocean. The ocean is a very turbulent, tumultuous place. It is Mm -hmm. a site of incredible amounts of erosion, marine life, 
waves. Well, friction alone from the water moving, right? Exactly. There's a lot of action happening. So Mm -hmm. essentially we have this solidified oil spill happening every single day at the site of all this infrastructure. And unlike, you know, single use plastics or plastic packaging that or plastic packaging is a better one that we're intending to recycle, but might not get recycled and ends up in the environment unintentionally. We are using this intentionally every single day. Now, this is probably a very ugly solution for for what you stand for, but would it not at least make a difference if it were wrapped in a heavier plastic or wrapped in um, a hard plastic to keep the keep the friction off of that? Something more durable, at least. In the, I mean, I realize that's a lesser of the evil scenario, evil. but you still end up with plastic in the ocean because it's going to break off in microscopic levels of it. But you know, it would make a big impact if at least it were protected. Yeah, you nailed it. It's a lesser of an evil. And on our cleanups, we still find an a, an incredible amount of those floats that have the polystyrene inside. And those ones are tricky because once they get water inside, they become really lodged in sand, harder to collect and clean up. So overall, what the best solution is, is just air-filled billets. And there's a number of companies that are coming onto the market that provide that product, including New Wave Docks, Sandal Utility Products. And this is actually a far superior product to just the open unencapsulated foam and the encapsulated foam. It's more durable, resistant to weather changes. You can also spot when there's an issue a lot quicker with it. Yeah, they start to tip. Yes. <laughs> um, the, um, so... So I guess these air-filled billets still another lesser of the evil because you still have to have some sort of pliable product that holds the air inside. Yes. Um, but so still not there yet unless there's any, because I mean, I guess if you go Uber Eco here, you're going to get breakdown pretty quick. So you're going to get breakdown cost pretty effectively, quick. Like, that's a problem, right? That's it. So right now the best solution is the air-filled plastic billets. You know, we're not finding that all over the coastline. You know, this can also come from a more recycled material. It's easier to see when it's breaking down. It's not going to slowly erode every day. Once it gets a crack or some kind of other issue with it, it can be remediated a lot quicker and removed and switched out. Whereas like a huge styrofoam, well, polystyrene dock, it's slowly eroding. It's really hard to replace that and also really hard to clean up as we know. So how do we, uh, how do we get there quite often when it comes to, you know, change the topic, change the clarity when it comes to building houses or new buildings, there's usually a, okay, well, we're going to say no more polystyrene floaties in the ocean. And as of today, no new docks. Well, that's fine. But the old ones that are really eroding are still a problem. So how do you get there when you're trying to take a stand for this? Because I mean, you have to understand like this stuff's pretty ugly. It's pretty ugly when it gets tangled up in all the things. It's not like it's, by the way, I found a, a empty bag of potato chips floating that's sat on the beach. Like it's, it's quite ugly. Yeah, it's a really good question. And right now, what we're pushing for is people to sign the federal petition that's calling for a ban on expanded polystyrene in the marine environment. And part of that, what would be ideal is to have some kind of other funding program like DFO had with its aquaculture innovation and market access program that actually helped industries, commercial operators be able to apply for funding to retrofit their docks and remove that expanded polystyrene and put in sustainable alternatives. So we've seen this work before and we can have that kind of solution again that can accompany a ban on all new infrastructure. Because as you say, there's still so much of the old that we need to replace ASAP if we want to get the results for addressing plastic on the coast. 
Now, this makes me think of grocery bags, Lily. We've talked about grocery bags <laughs> at nauseum. Um, and the, the basic uh, numbers are very simple, is that uh, there's two conversations around grocery bags. There's the sort of start of life and end of life conversation. Start of life, plastic bags are cheap, they're easy, they're light, and they, they work. So at start of life, they work. End of life, they don't really work at all. I mean, that's not up for debate. I mean, that's pretty clear. Start of life of paper bags is four times as much energy to be a creative paper bag. Um, end of life, it's better unless it's waxy, which makes it not better at all. Some of them are waxy, especially the ones you get from the fast food joints. Uh, so that actually is not better. Then you end up with fabric bags, which is like 140 times more energy and material to get it started. And um, end of life, debatably better, depending on if it's a if it's an oil-based fabric or not. So the the you know, that's the conversation that we can all understand this from in our grocery stores. Basically, a plastic bag, you use it once, it's not good on the end. A paper bag, you have to use it four times to be as efficient on the front end as a, as a, gr- a plastic bag. And a fabric bag, you have to use it 140 times to, to think about how many you have in your basement. I know I have a lot. <laughs> um, they have not been used 140 times um, in order to get there. So that's just groceries. When we go back to polystyrene, how in the world, when the government can't even figure out a grocery bag, can we get this conversation to work and say, look, this old stuff's got to go away. This is this is detrimental in such a big way. I don't know. I'm on the outside. I'm not an expert, but I would say probably even more important than grocery bags at this point. It's way more important. You know, when you think about the single-use plastics going into the environment, it makes up about 3 to 5% of what we're finding across the country. Whereas I said before... Poly, expanded polystyrene makes up the majority of it. Why isn't our attention focused there if our policies yeah. are meant to be results focused? Yeah. And so, most grocery bags actually get used at least as a garbage bag. It's not great, but it's a second time it gets used, right? Like, Yeah. So. Yeah. So, but I think it's similar to what we've done before with single-use plastics. In 2016, 2017, 2018, there wasn't any government policy or action on this and that's changed a heck of a lot from public pressure and it's the same thing now we need to apply public pressure to get a ban on this material and to get things moving on this and showing that there's already jurisdictions making this change so in bc we've been working with numerous municipalities numerous first nations and replacing the docks and putting in sustainable alternatives to show this is possible Mm-hmm. Now, that's not cheap either, though. There's a reason why those old docks are old docks, because it's cost prohibitive to build a new one. Yeah, yeah, it is. A lot of the times, though, these docks are also not even up to code. They're not even safe anymore, because remember, they've been eroding and breaking down for so many decades. So ideally, these places, these docks that are meant to facilitate our safe access to the marine environment, if it can't even do that, what's the point? So it's not if it's only a climate environmental issue, it's also a safety thing as well. These are super old docks and a lot of them need work. You know what makes me think of? It makes me think of abandoned oil wells that there are companies that go bankrupt and they leave the oil well and they're left with not-for-profits or government-funded, industry-funded organizations to be able to clean them up or cap them or resell them to someone who will use them. And yet you have all these docks, you have these old pilings, you have all these things that are in the ocean that industry put there, maybe old mills from forever ago, old communities from forever ago. And then those people have never been taken into account um, to go back and clean that stuff up too. Does it take that kind of a nonprofit funded concerted effort to just start pulling these things out of the ground to start pulling these things off the water and just say well tell you what your choice is you put in something that's not going to pollute or 
the doc is gone. It's just that simple. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't think it's, I don't think you could ever just remove the doc. There's at least where I'm thinking like, to operate as a society, we need those dogs. So it's not as simple as being able to just yank them out. And it's it's harder than it seems. Working on these retrofit programs, you think, oh yeah, we'll just switch out the billets of polystyrene for the airfield. And you go down, it is a technical, logistical, heck of a project. So it's not something that can happen overnight. It takes a lot of work. And so it's considering that it's going to take a long time to make these switches. And so, yeah, I think it does take an intervention like nonprofits coming in and saying, hey, this isn't working. And this is the elephant in the room when it comes to plastic pollution. And why aren't we doing anything about it? Yeah. And it does affect lakes and oceans and all the things. It so it doesn't matter all where you are in Canada. environments, it does. Yeah. Rivers, you name it. It's all of it. So one of the cool things that I think Surfrider, one of the blessings that you guys have in front of you is that when somebody walks through a ditch, they don't really notice garbage because there's just always been garbage in ditches. When somebody walks to a waterfall, you notice the garbage. When somebody walks on a beach, you very much notice the garbage. Some of your colleagues have been doing some of these styrofoam cleanups on beaches and, and everything else. It's actually quite cute videos of them riding with their, their bicycles oh, and their, yeah. their little trailers full of <laughs> polystyrene in the back. And um, uh, people are generally quite receptive to the conversation, even if they're just Joe Blow on vacation who's not even from there. That's what they're finding. Somewhat, yeah. So this weekend, my colleague and I, Alice Hoyland, she works for the Pacific Rim chapter and I'm, uh, I work for Surfrider Foundation Canada. We thought, you know, let's go onto the beach and get people to sign the signatures ourselves. You know, the power of in-person canvassing. So obviously we haven't been doing a lot of this over the last few years because of COVID and the restrictions. So I think it was a bit of a shock to some people. But what we did was we set up at the entrance of North Chesterman Beach in Tofino, Tolokuia First Nation Territory. And as soon as people came on to this beautiful, sunny beach, free of polystyrene, we had my coworker Alice's bike and caboose full of polystyrene and asking them, hey, can you take a minute to keep these beaches free from this really toxic pollutant? And happy to report that only six people denied us and still enjoyed their beach walk. Pretty good. And, you know, about 55 uh, signed the petition and, you know, wanted to learn more. And we're like, absolutely, of course. And wanted to engage in the conversation. We're like, what is this stuff? Why, why are you finding this? And so I think the in-person is so powerful for making that sense of community and connection and educating people right then and right there. Whereas it's not when it's mediated by the screen, that, powerful transformation i find is just not as possible as much i'd be curious to see now of course that's i think that's a fantastic number there's no judgment to that number either like you know some people are going through their things and they could be about to have a real heavy conversation walking on the beach right like yeah people have their stuff going exactly. on exactly but at the same time i'd be curious about how many people after getting uh you know approached and, and with a hello then going time on the beach then coming back going you know what i did see it or I get it now or after the fact. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that 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 human connection thing kicks in again. It does. It does. And it's fun. It's cold. <laughs> you guys and your you guys and your hanging out on the beach. I guess it's not cold. Yeah, it's been no, pretty nice. No, it was way coast. too it's been way too warm, bizarrely warm for this time of year. So, nice yeah. for the spirits but not good for the salmon. What um what is great uh, way to connect. Let's offer that now for people. Um, because regardless of, you know, if you are say a man, a tool in person, which, um, I will throw out there as a uh, connection back to Lily's other life is that, 
But if you are an Ontario Lake person, for example, or a Manitoba Lake person, you might you might be inspired by this, and this could really matter to you because it's kind of a one shot deal when it comes to lakes and oceans, right? Like you, you can, it's a tough one; just can't get a do over. So, where, where do they go to connect to learn more? So, to learn more, you can go to Canada.surfrider.org. On that main homepage, there's going to be a banner that says "Take Action." Click that. You can learn more about the issue, and you can also sign the federal petition calling for this national ban on expanded polystyrene in the in aquatic environments. And it's important that we do this now because this petition is closing October 27th. And so we want to amass as many signatures as possible for every 500 uh, digital signatures. MP Rachel Blaney will be able to stand in the House of Commons and speak to this issue. And the more that she can consistently speak to it, the more that we can make this a priority uh, amidst our elected representatives be a real win if you can get an mp from like an inland mp hey not just an ocean mp yes that'd be a real win that would be that would be so hopefully we'll get there again if she can rise to it and speak to it it's going to get other folks on board so the more the merrier well and this one's interesting to me lily because not to get overly political about it but this is not an industry affecting conversation this is not a shutdown in the industry this is not a whatever it's just stop using this product in this scenario right there's a replacement there are better replacements all the time and uh and quite often when we get into these conversations there's usually someone who pays the price here and in this particular case nobody really pays the price in fact it's cleaning up old mistakes and it does create a bit of a new industry you know for the time being and people get to work and and get the chance to do it it's just a matter of who's willing to take it on Yeah, well, that's exactly it. It's safer. It's more durable. It's more sustainable. It's still supporting an industry that's going to be making this material. So it does make sense all around to make this switch. And as I said before, this isn't a leakage from an ineffective waste management issue. This is intentionally being used in the oceans every single day, and it's making up most of what we find. So if we really want to address the plastic pollution problem, which we've been saying as a country we do for years now, why not tackle one of the biggest sources? It just makes sense. And at no, like there's no real impact to it. Like there's all kinds of, even the, the polystyrene industry, whole other conversation, but they have plenty of work. They're going to be fine without the docks, right? Like even that is, it doesn't really impact. I mean, that's a conversation for down the road for another day, but you can't even argue that it's going to kill that industry because it's just not, it's just that simple. And so it wouldn't, as you you say, it's not, there's all kinds of issues with the polystyrene industry at large. It's one of the biggest producers of toxic waste in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I know it was probably out of scope for this conversation. It's still not, it's not a great industry in terms of the pollution impact, but as you say, it wouldn't eradicate the industry by shifting away from EPS flotations. That's right. And so uh, it's it's fascinating to me, and I, and I will speak from my own experience in this. That actually, there's a photo of me when I was a kid. I was on Long Beach, and I like it looked like a rock, and I was holding it. it looks like a oh. rock, but it's actually it's actually polystyrene, oh, no and that's way. from the eighties. It's from the eighties, so that's a long time ago. Um, when I went to, I've shared this before. When I go to Hawaii, and if you ever go to a luau or a Polynesian culture based event, they often will tell you about things that are. Uh, a beautiful about the culture, but things that are making it difficult for the culture. And one of them that I've heard repeatedly, which is the easiest of all, and it does make you think is just as simple as cigarette butts on the beach. And if you could just, if you see a cigarette butt, they, they always say, look, I realize it's gross, but get a little piece of paper or something, um, grab the sand in your hand and just throw the sand in the garbage. It's not going to, right? It's just sand. It's going to be okay. And um, do whatever it takes. You don't have to touch it. But if you see a cigarette butt, if everybody just picked up one, the, imagine the difference that that would make. So that 
touched me in that conversation because nobody likes to go to the beach and sit on garbage. So why wouldn't this one do the same? So I hope it does for you. I really appreciate being here, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having us. And uh, hope folks will take a minute to pick up a cigarette butt and sign the petition. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.